Hey. Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so excited today to be talking to some of the team behind HBO Max's Our Flag Means Death. We are joined by actor Reese Darby, who plays the lead role of Steve Bonnet, as well as creator, showrunner, and executive producer David Jenkins and executive producer Garrett Bash. And David and Garrett, I wanted to start by um, asking a little bit about the, the development process for this show and really finding the voice of what you wanted this series to be, because it obviously has that great element of creating an ecosystem that's very much the idea of a workplace comedy in a very absurd setting. And so you take these characters, you build this ecosystem, and then you get to kind of play around with that foundation by what happens when they happen upon land and they're interacting with other characters. What are the frictions and tensions that come with that? What happens when we introduce other characters and what are the reactions going to be? Um, and so I was interested in, in kind of like how you, how you saw the voice of the show coming together with creating that foundation to then be able to really play with it in different ways, episode by episode. Um, I, it's just workplace is great. I mean, work once once you have if you're at work, you you know you're not there by choice necessarily. You didn't get to pick the people you're with, um, so those automatically become family stories, and then they become family stories where you can transgress in other ways because you're not really related. Um, so to find those things and then put it in the pirate genre, and then kind of do crazy boss mixed with Walter White because he's having a midlife crisis and he's decided to do a true crime thing. I mean, it's a wonderful stew to get to, to cook. Is that right? I don't know. I started. Yeah. And I bailed. You cook stew. <laughs> it's a wonderful stew to cook. Yeah. Was that a lot of what appealed to you in terms of developing the show as well, Garrett? Well, I, I would say um, in terms of voice and foundation, David is all voice and probably all foundation. And he was pretty far along by the time I came in. He had scripts. He knew exactly what the show was. And I was just there to help make sure it happened in a way that, that uh, served him and served the story. And yeah, I feel just lucky to be involved. Well, Garrett was also, he's, he's being very modest. But Gar like it was really, you know, we prepped the show and Taika was shooting Thor. And so I'm prepping it for a director that, you know, I'm making all the choices for him. And, you know, it's like make big, I like to make big choices anyway and specific choices, but having Garrett as a resource because he's worked with Taika so many times now um, was invaluable. And then Garrett had the great sense to bring in Rob Vincent and we actually got Rob Vincent, who's um, Taika's production designer. And so having the two of them as a resource while prepping it was insanely helpful. Thank you, David. Thank you. I've never heard that before. It's, it feels good. <laughs> Work I mean, I love you. Workplace comedy. <laughs> We've never met. <laughs> I don't know this guy. Derek? Derek Gass? I don't know. Garrett. Yeah. He's got cool hair. Derek, your hair is fire. Wow. And Reese, I feel like you had to strike a really delicate balance with this character because you're playing a character who leaves behind his entire family in the middle of this midlife crisis and sent, sets off to do something ostensibly fairly absurd, but he's so committed to it. And, you know, I feel like you do that and you achieve that balance where the audience still is rooting for him and wants to come along for the ride and is really engaged, um, you know, because you're always playing to the emotional factors and motivations for him in terms of what it is that he wants as a character. 
character. And so I was just interested in how you really struck that balance in, in finding those emotional motivations so that the audience could really connect to your character very early on, even when the idea on paper isn't maybe something that they would get on board with otherwise. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, on paper, it's a no-go. Uh, but that just goes to show what can happen when you get off the paper. Because, <laughs> because if you've got the right person, you know, uh, the essence of that person, uh, their spirit will turn you. And, and I think that's why Steve got away with what he did and why I tried to portray that character. And that is that he uh, was a dreamer and felt like he wasn't in the position he was supposed to be in life. He only lived once and he read a lot and dreamt a lot and was wealthy enough to change his position. And yeah, he sort of, you know, did it, went, went about it a ridiculous way. He, you know, he should have at least, uh, you know, went through a proper divorce or, or, or told his wife what he was up to, but life is short and even shorter back in those days. And uh, so he's like, no, I'm out. And uh, look, he probably had intentions of coming back. And uh, but the thing is, he he wanted to prove to himself that he could be something else in the world. And he took his garments with him and he, you know, and his library that he built onto the ship. And then he just took a massive risk to make this adventure work. And the only reason that the crew went with him um, to a point or, you know, even even on day one was that he's a nice guy. And he, you know, he wasn't, he was, he's not a bad person. He's, he's just, um, he just has no idea what he's, what he's really doing. I mean, we don't really <laughs> know what he was really like though. So he could have actually been a dick. <laughs> no, David, come on. <laughs> I mean, the actual, the Steed Bonnet, your Steed Bonnet is very yeah. lovable. And I would follow your Steed Bonnet into hell, but you know, but here's the thing why he's not, because no one is the gentleman pirate. You don't get that word gentleman if you're a dick, especially back then. These days, uh, you know, it's muddied a bit, but to be a yeah. gentleman back in the day mean, means that you, you, you're a, a nice person. Yeah. That would be my argument. You're a very good lawyer for him. <laughs> I've got to be. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to hire you for uh, some legal trouble. on. later. <laughs> <laughs> and David, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the language of the show in, when you were writing the scripts, because there's certain delicious moments where you really allow yourself to kind of lead into, lean into slightly more classical language for the sake of humor or what it tells us about a character. You know, there's moments where Steed's kind of showing off a little bit. And then obviously there's very modern vocabulary and vernacular throughout, of it, throughout it as well. And so how did you think about the language that you wanted for these characters throughout the show and what you wanted that to say about them? Um, I don't know. That's a great question. I, I, while I was writing it, it just kind of intuitively, some characters would speak like buttons, speaks kind of ye olde. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I just didn't want to write all of that for everybody because it's hard to write in dialect and, and, and actually have it make sense and have it be good. I do a thing where I, I kind of perform the part while I'm writing it. And I, yeah. I say the script a lot. I talk a lot to myself when I write. So, <laughs> I've got to see these tapes. He'd be on set sometimes with his laptop and he'd just start laughing hysterically <laughs> and doing voices. And I remember that just like in the first week and every, he, he created this, this, uh, error in the street. It was intentional. <laughs> it was intentional, Garrett. <laughs> Fell into my trap, I see. Little fly. 
<laughs> but yeah, I think like also with this show, it's fun to break stuff and it's fun to modernize it because you get to talk about things um, uh, that I guess are modern things. And then you get to stuff it into this world and, and you can, you can let it be new. No one wants to hear, you know, Elizabethan prose. Mm. And talking a little bit more about Steed Reese, you know, I think what's really fascinating to watch as well is having this man who is kind of in this central place where he's trying to reach a certain point in his life. He's got certain ideas of who he wants to be. And then there's the past version that he's trying to leave behind. And he's living in this very uncomfortable dichotomy within the middle of that. Um, and how you kind of really enjoyed kind of finding a lot of the kind of emotional turmoil within him as a character, but also kind of gradually allowing him to inch a little bit closer to where he hopes to attain to be, but never actually fully realizing that. Yeah, I don't. I think you, he can't escape his past, and we and none of us can. And you try to by creating a new future that's going to um, be your new life. And mm-hmm. up until he meets Blackbeard, that just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, but when he meets ba- Blackbeard, all of a sudden there's a bridge to a new life, um, and he feels more comfortable. He feels like. Uh, you know, he's got a, a friend here that he can get close to. And that hasn't happened to him before in the past from what yet that we know. We may make that later, but at this point, you know, he's, he's just like a very lonely guy um, who really just has his fancy clothing and his way of doing things. And I think I could feel that on day one, just with the crew of just like, um, he's not so much commanding these people. He's kind of like going, please play with me. You know, I've got these ideas, you know, and he just wants friends, you know, and, they, and they're like, no, you're the wrong class. You shouldn't be here. We don't like you. Although we're starting to like you because you're reading us kids' stories at night and you're paying us a wage. So they're, they're torn. And I love that, that he's, he's doing the impossible. He's try- I mean, imagine going onto a ship in those days being that fancy and, um, and trying to convince everyone that they should follow your lead. You know, it's it just, you know, there, there's, you can look at today's society and that must happen all the time. But um, back then it's like magnified 10 by 10 times. Yeah. And for all three of you, you know, I was kind of interested in, in whether you had conversations and, and what some of the discussions were around what's the reality for each of these characters? You know, what is their truth? What is it that they know given the time period and, and the space in which you're setting this series, you know, having a, having a character who's completely terrified of cats because he thinks that they, you know, steal children's breath and have knives in their um, paws, you know, that's something that he believes. Excellent, excellent timing. <laughs> you know that's that's a truth in his world from his experiences or characters that don't know what a vacation is and have to have steed explain it to them is a very real scenario to them um and so how did the idea of what is the truth to all of these characters individually also really help in terms of building out a lot of the narrative arcs and building out a lot of elements of these characters um i think that just was important to me is like if you're on this ship you're running from something (laughs) and the fact that they're all running from something and trying to find out what are they running from. Um, that to me seems interesting. And just piracy in general, being like the New York City of, of, of things, like all the weirdos would gravitate there because they'd fit in. Um, you know, and then the class tourism of it where he's, he's a fancy man and they're uh, from a brutal 
violent place. And then we're going to watch them try to mix. And when it comes to making comedy, one of the things that that I always love is just kind of the presence that everybody has to have at every stage. You have to have that real presence and connectivity to the rhythm and the pacing when you're writing scripts for it, when you're developing, figuring out what scenes are going to work. It's such a crucial thing in terms of performances and the presence that you have to have with everybody on set. And then when you're going into post-production, the way that editing, you know, can really change any single intention or rhythm and tone of a scene. Um, and so I was interested kind of for the three of you in, in, in the journey of making this show, those moments where you really had to have a lot of presence with the material that you were working on in the process. Comedy can go wrong at any time and will. Uh, <laughs> and there was so many times for this to fail throughout every piece that we, we put together. That's and I true. think that's, that's the challenge. I mean, that's, that's where it's really hard because, you know, we, comedy is the most difficult and and if you can make it look easy and make it look natural then you've achieved it but um it, you only get to that point when you have the experience of all the people that we've, we've got on this production right and it's so clear in the scripts reading the scripts it's just uh, there's no question of of what the motivations are who these people are and then in casting it david just knew because he knew these characters so well, who was right for each part. And uh, it was actually quite seamless, I found. But, it was um, helpful to go. We went back and forth on a few people because so many good yeah. people, amazing people auditioned for the yeah. show. And when you see an actor you're in awe of and they're, they're reading your little stupid half-hour script and taking it seriously. Um, uh, but, you know, there, there were so many great actors in so many different directions you can go in. That in casting, you know, Garrett and I kicked some ideas back and forth just to see who was who was sticking for each of us. And and David, when you were writing to this ensemble of characters within this group of pirates, um, you know, I, I was intrigued by the way in which you wrote intentions, whether it comes from a place of intellect or instinct, because, you know, Steed with his background in aristocracy is very much trying to reason and navigate and figure out what he should do. Whereas the rest of the pirates on the ship, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a survival instinct. It's that street smarts that they've developed on the sea that they have to lead from. And so how did that lead into different ways that you would write them in and out of scenarios? Um, well, they all just want to live. <laughs> and then Steve's yeah. on this other thing where he wants to heal and, mm -hmm. and teach. And, uh, and then there's kind of an outsider artist quality to him and to see that he's exposing, cause it is like fancy man. They're like, Oh, fancy man. And then he does do things with them that they like. <laughs> and they're a little bit like, Oh shit. I like that. What does that mean to see that? to that little that weird little crossing and little bridges mm -hmm. that he's making um that's that's the fun of the show to me and the joy the joy of it and like the joy of watching reese play it um because he plays the hell out of it yeah that's definitely a huge joy in in watching the character that you've created and and so reese kind of how did you think about navigating the different spaces where your character is kind of confident sometimes a little overly confident um and maybe a little inept at things but also to david's point the spaces where there's actually real attributes that come out of it the fact that all of a sudden he's on a pirate ship reading them all a bedtime story in their hammocks and they realize that they actually really like it or you know they're working with material and building flags and they really appreciate being acknowledged and being seen by someone who's in a leadership position for them 
Yeah, it came down to a little bit of mothering because everyone wants that sort of a little bit of nurturing. And so I think that's that's that element of like, you know, uh, without without him, an, a, a regular captain, a, a leader needs to be needs to have that quality. But most of them don't. They're just yelling and, and shouting, and they've got they're they're smart, so they've got good orders in their head. They've got they know what their plan is. But if you take that side out of it and just bring in this nurturing side of like, we could all have a hug, right? You know, then that's what these that's what the crew really wanted as well, because they're all sort of unloved, you know. And so I think I I, I went down that route a little bit. Uh, because that's what I think Steed wanted. And so, um, you know, there was touches of of him showing, you know, some skills that he had skills, you know, being able to dress a certain way or or be able to present himself in a certain way that um, through through being self-confident about the way he looked and and that he that he knew where the, the cutlery was lined up on the table and if others didn't, then he had he had that. Or when he was at a party, I know how these people are thinking. Because he can think like them. And so it was those little things that you can not show off about in front of the rest of the guys, but just sort of slowly uh, uh, implement and, and they'll they'll respect that. And then you've got to have each other's back. At the end of the day, you've you've got to, there's got to be camaraderie. And uh, and that's what we that's what we got eventually. Yeah, well, kind of going back to what you all said earlier about making comedy look effortless, I feel like that's when you can tell how much work and how much detail has gone into it behind the scenes. So, congratulations on a really fantastic season that makes the comedy look effortless. And thank you so much oh. for sharing all of this. Oh, thank you so much. It's a nice interview.